You're with SBS Radio. Find more great stories in your language at sbs.com.au. I'm Carol Lee Harding and this is NITV Radio. And Mati Mati and Wamba Wamba woman Yana Stewart joined the ranks of First Nations women, making the history in federal parliament. Yana Stewart is the first Aboriginal woman to become a Victorian senator for the Labor Party. And Senator Stewart joined the points Narelda Jacobs and John Paul Janke. Senator, congratulations. This is a year of first, first in the federal election. Um, on your election to the Senate, what does it mean to you to be sitting in the federal parliament? Thank you. And it's an incredible privilege, really, to be elected to the Senate. And there's been a lot of talk about, you know, all the glass ceilings that have been broken, the incredible amount of uh, First Nations people, 10 First Nations people into this federal parliament. Six for Labor, the doubling of, of our um, First Nations caucus, um, an increase of multicultural people across our parliament. And I am incredibly excited about that. Uh, but one of the things I'm absolutely excited about is, um, is looking forward to a day when we don't have to celebrate those things, that these are just things that are business as usual for our country and for our parliament. Yes. That's the day that I will really celebrate yes. um, the diversity in our parliament. <laughs> yeah, it would be great to, for that day, for diversity in our parliament to reflect the diversity of the nation. Now, I can imagine uh, going into Canberra, there's going to be lots of challenges and issues that you want to bring to the forefront. What will be your priorities uh, over the next coming months? <laughs> I feel like there's been, you know, almost a, a decade of you know, things that I see as real priority areas for me that have just been really ignored or pushed to the side. So those things include you know, a focus on um, you know, social welfare issues. I want to focus on women, um, First Nations women, women from multicultural communities. I want to focus on children and families. I've spent the better part of my career uh, working with children and families on the, on the front line in um, Aboriginal organisations in the public service, in politics, um, you know, as a as a family therapist, and for me, I can see that, you know, when you have that investment, when you have that focus on children and families, you get better outcomes across a whole spectrum of areas, in education, in employment, and our economy, our economy more broadly. So for me, the, the focus is absolutely on, on children and families, on education, on jobs, and of course, um, you know, like one of Labor's key um, platforms or commitments going into this election, which is the, you know, the voice and the Uluru Statement from the Heart work. Yeah, let's, uh, let's look closely at the Uluru Statement now. Labor is committed to implementing the statement in full. Uh, Senator, how will you work to ensure that communities in Victoria and even those with dissenting views uh, are heard? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. I'm really glad that you asked it. We've got a, a, a body here, um, which I'm sure that you're well and truly aware of, which is the First People's Assembly of Victoria. Um, they are a legislative body. They are elected by the Aboriginal community here in Victoria, both general elections and, and people who um, were elected from traditional owner organisations to, you know, to work with the state government on matters that relate to treaty. And in Victoria, we've got you know, a nation-leading Yuruk um, truth and justice process happening here as well. Um, so we've got a lot uh, in Victoria to work with when it comes to 
um, you know, things that have been established and work that's already underway to really help guide us in our work on the national stage. Um, so I'm really proud of the work that's happening here in Victoria and I really look to, you know, continuing um, to work with, you know, with uh, groups like the First People Assembly of Victoria. Yes, yeah, Senator, you mentioned before that in your professional career you've been an advocate for children and families and communities. What do you see as the Albanese's government priorities, priorities in these areas, especially working with children? I, I can see that there's... You know, I suppose one of the things for me is um, we've got you know, family violence plans, we've got... Um, well, I shouldn't say we've got a family violence plan. We've got work to do on finalising a national plan to end violence against women and children. That's absolutely one of the things I want to make sure uh, happens. And we've got, we'll have a separate plan for First Nations people. Um, we've got our big cheaper childcare commitment as well, um, making childcare more affordable um, for working families as well. And childcare is really key when it comes to what that first five years of a kid's development looks like. We know that when kids have a really solid first five years, their, ab their ability to be able to participate and engage in school um, to you know, get to the end of grade six, to then finish year 12, to be able to go on to university or whatever it is that they want to do, that first five years is really fundamental. So we really can't underestimate how important making childcare cheaper for Australian families is to giving kids the best start in life. Now, Senator, your great-grandmother was Muthi Muthi icon Alice Kelly, uh, a staunch black woman. Um, what would you say to knowing that uh, her granddaughter is now uh, a senator in the federal parliament? I think that, you know, I think about the incredible matriarchs that I've got in my family that have absolutely made me who I am today. You know, I'm sure that they would never have imagined that this would be possible for our people. Um, she would be incredibly proud, I think. Um, you know, I think about, you know, people like my great-grandmother, Nana Kelly. I think about my nan. Um, I think about, you know, my aunties and cousins now who have an incredible sense of pride that we get to have, uh, you know, one of our own community, our own mob, our own family in a place like this. Uh, <laughs> I was chatting to one of my great... Uh, great aunties who, um, you know, she was, she was having a conversation with me saying, you know, you need, you need to tell me, niece, when, when your first speech is. <laughs> um, and I was saying, absolutely, aunt, of course I will do that. Um, and her comment was, you know, we've got a Kelly in Canberra, so that's, that's my maiden name, Kelly. Um, <laughs> we've got a Kelly in Canberra and they are absolutely excited about it. Um, but, you know, for me, I think this is you know, while it's, um, you know, my, my family incredibly excited about, you know, me, um, it, to me it's also an incredibly powerful message to lots of other young Aboriginal, you know, women, children who, who can see themselves reflected in our national parliament, mm. that this is a place that you can aspire to be, this is a place that you belong, um, because you've got, you know, you know, incredible people like Aunty Linda Burney and... Um, Senator McCarthy, uh, in places like this as well, who who have come before me. Yeah. Um, You're in such a company. It's yeah. a really powerful message. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
Oh, congratulations. We can't wait to see what you bring to the role in the, in the Senate. Thanks for joining us on The Point. Thank you. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. You're listening to NITV Radio on this deadly Friday afternoon. Hope you're having a good one, whatever you're doing out there. We'll be right back on the other side of this. Good afternoon, you're tuned in to NITV Radio with me, your host today, I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Now to our next story, and as Australia faces the emergency on gas and energy, there's a renewed focus on the future of some of the country's big fossil fuel projects. The Gumaroi people in the northwest of the New South Wales means even bigger fight for them to try to stop one of them. Santos's $3.6 billion coal seam gas development... Santos has asked the National Native Title Tribunal to step in and give them a green light to the project without the agreement of the Gumaroi traditional owners, who voted against the development. The NITV's The Point, Ricky Kirby, travelled to the Pilliga Forest area to find out about what's in stake. A staunch display of strength and unity. The Gomoroi community gathers Nikuna Barabran to support each other in the fight ahead. Martin Gordon talks to the dancers before the ceremony. So we're going to dance strong, we're going to dance for our people, we're going to dance for our country. So I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you. They're standing strong against the looming $3.6 billion coal seam gas project in the nearby Pilliga. Points Ricky Kebe talked to the Gomorrah people about what they thought of the mining. Martin Gordon says the Pilliga is an important part of the story. Water is life. All our, all right across right across the country, we talk about you know, rainbow snake bringing, bringing, bringing us water. All that country, all this Pilliga is part of that story. Brad Flanders hopes the mining in the region will stop. What I'd love to see happen is um, for the miners to leave us alone, to leave our beautiful country alone, and let it grow and flourish and. Let us as lawmen and people of this country take care of it the right, responsible way it should. Also, Paris Norton wants the mining to be gone, especially for future generations. I am worried that our children won't have the experiences and be able to connect with country in the way that we have. Leading the fight is Auntie Sue Ellen Tai. Tonight, she's updating the community on legal action Santos has taken in the National Native Title Tribunal. An update on about what's happening so far with our struggle. Santos and the Gomery Native Title applicants have been negotiating for eight years, but in March, the traditional custodians formally rejected their offer. Santos wants to build 850 coal seam gas wells over a thousand hectares. Carving through the Pilliga forest with roads, fences, and other infrastructure. Been in this issue for about 12 years now, and they do not hear the Aboriginal voice. They do not hear our voices. So, what we need to do is make our voices so that they can't ignore us. And then we'll head through to the Pilliga. Auntie Suella invites me on a trip to the Pilliga communities to meet some Gomorrah people who will be directly affected by the development. We hit the road early. It's going to be a big day. Pilliga is very important to us as Gomorrah people and the whole of Gomorrah because it's a very spiritual place. She wants to show me how the ancient stories are woven into the landscape. Here we're looking at Wombat Mountain and you can see it quite plainly that it's in the shape of Wombat Mountain. It's a story to teach young kids how to share, a story that's 
talks about, you know, when times are tough and coming together and, and sharing and not being greedy. And these stories are our umbilical cord back to country. Those stories, they link us back to land. The Gomorrah people have a deep connection to this country. It's why they're fighting so hard. Cheryl Nichols is a Gomorrah native title applicant and regularly protests, like she is today, at a popular spot for tourists. It's just a symbol saying that we have to do what we've got to do. I'm proud of the signs and proud of that we're trying to do something. So. She is worried about Santos's attempts to bypass the rights of traditional custodians through the National Native Title Tribunal. We'll keep going back until we either win or lose, but I think we're going to win. Yeah. Back on the road, Auntie Sue Ellen tries to explain why the bush is so special. So to me, it's a place of peace. It's like my cultural tether. It's my umbilical cord to my identity. It connects me to land and country. There's the toll that it takes on your cultural toll, your cultural well-being, because a lot of time is spent defending this place, I suppose, in a way to put it, and trying to, and attempts to protect it. So that gives you an emotional toll. In Barradine, she introduces me to Auntie Robin Rutley, who is worried about her country. I'd like to see them think about our beautiful country and, and stop stop mining for gas. You know, just think about it. The final leg of my journey takes me to the heart of Santos's current development. Deborah Briggs is a Gomorrah woman who has been battling the mining companies for 15 years. We just want to take you for a little walk and show you spill zone and where they treat the gas once they get it from all the wells. Deborah Briggs tells me this was the site of a polluted wastewater spill a decade ago, but the country has never recovered. As you can see, nothing much grows. The young trees are probably two year old. They bring them in, they're literally half grown when they bring them here. They're transplanted as soon as they hit the ground, that's it, they'll start to perish. She keeps a watchful eye on the development. So I guess I could call myself a compliance worker uh, who keeps a check on the business, what's happening behind us. I make sure they're doing their, everything safe and whatnot. I had no choice but to do the research. These people were moving in on my backyard and places where we are obligated to look after our cultural sites. They were coming to destroy them, so I was obligated as a, as a custodian to stand up and say no, uh, to ask questions, what's going on here? I would actually like to see them pack up all of this and get the hell off Gomorrah country. Auntie Sue Ellen Ty says win or lose in the National Native Title Tribunal, there will be an appeal. Her fight, already years old, still has a long way to run. We now have a new government, so it's an opportunity. I would love to see our government listen to our voices and hear the voices of Aboriginal people. 
and Santos has declined NITV program the points request for an interview and didn't respond to any written questions. That story was produced by the points Ricky Kirby and prepared for radio by Sharka Pekova from NITV Radio. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Good to be with you and thanks for your company on this Friday afternoon. We'll be right back in just a moment with more content from NITV's The Point Programme. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Warning, this story does contain distressing content. It has been over two weeks now since an Amanchera woman died on a stretch of highway near Darwin. Friends and relatives of Kumanjai Nungarai Dixon are still grappling to comprehend their loss, let alone the circumstances of her death. Two people have been charged with a number of offences, including hit and run, destroying evidence and attempting to pervert the cause of justice. Jordan Perry reports for NITV's flagship programme, The Point. Detective Senior Sergeant Paul Morrissey was the one to announce the sad news to media. At uh, 11.45 last night, police attended a location in Jenkins Road, uh, Virginia, where they located a deceased Aboriginal female. Um, We believe this is uh, the victim of the um, collision. The victim was Kumanjai Nungarai Dixon, a central desert woman loved by her family. Carol Nungarai Dixon is a cousin of the deceased. We will really miss you. Miss your bubbly personality. And you meant the world to us all. The allegations about what happened on the outskirts of Darwin are truly shocking and started in the most gruesome way, with the discovery of a human leg on a busy highway. So John Paul Morrissey spoke to the media. As a result of ongoing investigations into the discovery of human remains on the Stewart Highway earlier this week, police determined that there had been a vehicle versus pedestrian type collision and a suspect vehicle was identified. Thousands of kilometres away in Newcastle, Carol Nungarai Dixon was appalled when she saw the news. I heard it and I just thought, it's tragic what actually occurs up in the NT. Um, It dumbfounds me, actually. And then she got a phone call from a family that shook her to the core. I was in disbelief. I just couldn't believe that it was her. She describes her cousin, Kumanjai Nungarai Dixon, as a loving and much-love-free spirit. Every time as an adult I'd go back home, she'd always... She'd just turn up out of nowhere, so she was always bubbly, I think very proud. Definitely loved her family, the grandkids and nieces and nephews. There was always that close connection to family and teaching her um, grandkids language and connection to country. Since her death, Carol has been in daily contact with her grieving family in the Northern Territory and has tried to help get information from police to piece together what happened. She says her cousin had caught a bus to this stop and was planning to visit family. Police allege that she was struck by a vehicle driven by 23-year-old Josh Mason at around 8.30pm that night. 
It's alleged he called his mother Deborah to help him collect, move and conceal Miss Dixon's body in bushland 15 kilometres south of the collision site. Mr Mason's lawyer has indicated he would likely plead guilty to all the charges and that it was a tragic accident. But Judge Therese Austin said text messages between Deborah Mason and her daughter potentially showed there had been a callous disregard for Miss Dixon's death. They disposed of the body and then they went home. It's a very serious incident. They've done a very poor job by the sound of it of disposing of any evidence. It was all over the ute. Forensics were not properly cleaned up. Look, I'm sad, but I think it's more so anger. So I'm more so, um, I guess, you want to make people aware of what's happened um, and the impacts that it has on families. Carol Dixon says the family hasn't been told much and she's been trying to find answers. We're still, you know, obviously still coming to grips with it, but just trying to fill in a lot of gaps. And I think we need CCTV because we want to sort of track her movements on that night. I guess how, why this occurred and how, why did it play out the way it did. According to police, Ms Dixon is the 11th pedestrian to die on NT roads in the past 18 months. All of these deaths were Indigenous people. Carol has been researching other road fatalities and reaching out to services to try and fill in the gaps. Who do we need to have these conversations with? How can we get the word out um, that this is, this is not OK? You know, this is not all right. She says there needs to be change to make roads safer for pedestrians really hoping that we can move forward in just making it safer for our people to get to and from their town camps um, because they don't have a vehicle, that they, that they have the, the right to be safe. And she never wants her cousin to be forgotten. We're all angry, but we're looking um, at, a, I guess, a bigger picture of what needs to be done as well as make sure that, um, you know, my cousin gets the justice that she needs, um, but we stay strong in doing, uh, I guess, in doing, doing that as well. She means something to us. She's, you know, all of her family, you know, she's not no one. Singapore may not be the place you'd expect to find a major collection of First Nations art. But at the country's National Gallery, the walls of three exhibition spaces have been adorned with the work of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists. Called ever-present, the themes in the exhibition span from cultural knowledge and connections to country, to ceremony and family, to the impacts of invasion. Tony Alberts is one of the exhibiting artists. He says it's great to see such a wide range of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art. In that respect, it is so amazing to see such, I guess, a plethora of work uh, from really traditional iconography, um, stories, um, story places, through to artists who are really challenging um, concepts and ideas that are attached to who we are and where we sit. So um, I think this. This show offers so much for so, you know, a, a very diverse audience. Tony Albert's Ash on Me is among these works, made up of what he calls Aboriginalia, 
kitsch items featuring stereotyped depictions of Aboriginal people. My fascination is how broad that, you know, I'll get a few that, oh, I've seen this one before and stuff, but I'm forever finding new ones. The Girama Yidinji and Kuku Yalanji man created the work 14 years ago, but says its meaning is just as relevant today. There was something quite metaphorical about an ashtray and the Australian condition attached to the representation of Aboriginal people. What does it actually mean to butt out a cigarette on someone's face and someone's culture? Everpresent has been a major undertaking with over 170 works from more than 150 artists. It's the largest exhibition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander works to ever tour Southeast Asia. For us, it's really important that we do build um, large um, shows, uh, ambitious shows um, of First Nations art um, and ensure that these are really driving our program and driving uh, international dialogues. And we know that there is a great um, interest and uh, thirst for better understanding of First Nations um, people and culture and art throughout the world. For Trawulwe artist Julie Goff, bringing her work to an international stage gives it another dimension. It feels completely different now it's left our continent. It really is in the world, not just kind of our world. It's in a world where others can establish dialogue or relationships and with First People, with Aboriginal peoples, which is what's needed, more, more contact and communication from and with us. Her piece, made up of about 185 names burnt into unfinished spears, reflects on the forced removals of Aboriginal children. A great number of the children that were removed in this artwork, evident here, were living with colonists as a result, I believe, of massacre. So there's no other logical reason for them to be apart from their family and not reunited. It really makes sense. The land grants were given out, Aboriginal people were removed and violently so for only children to be turning up, being baptised at two, three, four years of age. Each powerful story has been carefully chosen by the curators, including Larakea Waterman and Kajari woman Tina Baum. I think one of the hardest parts is actually selecting and choosing which works and which artists to represent because we have such a rich dynamic and, um, you know, we excel with the excellence in the arts in Australia. Everpresent is a celebration of First Nations art, but it also puts Australia's history under the microscope, with many of the artists challenging the idea of what is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art. It's a way of decolonising and, and gaining um, agency over our stories and we're telling them our way. She hopes audiences across the world will gain a greater understanding of our art, our history, our culture and stories. We've got a, a dynamic and rich cultural and history uh, to showcase here in this exhibition and yeah I think you know we should be on the global platform and, and uh, out in the world showcasing how great we are. And that was the story by NITV's Kira Jenkins, prepared for radio by Shaka Pekova. And to watch the full episode of this week's The Point Program, head to SBS On Demand, where you can catch lots of deadly content from NITV and, of course, SBS across the board. 
Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.